summer that's uh, still going on. Somebody interrupted that and started talking about school. Maybe you feel a bit intruded upon. Uh, maybe you brought fear or uh, worry or curiosity. Or maybe you really aren't here, you're out to lunch. It's possible to be here in body and not in spirit. Now, how do we discern people's attitudes? Uh, there's such a thing as body language. Your students can tell your attitude very clearly by just looking at you. Sometimes it might seem like you're only paying attention to part of the people in the room or standing with your back to the class. And it does make a difference. I've found just the stance you take makes a difference. People actually feel differently about you and respond differently to you if you actually have your heart open to them or if you have your back turned or turned to the side. And it doesn't make any difference whether it's in body or whether it's in spirit. The attitude makes a world of difference. In this first session today, as we think of the heart, I want us to consider our attitudes, our feelings, our spirits. There are, there are attitudes that we are aware of. Perhaps we feel hurried or late. And then there are surface attitudes, such as worry or excitement, these things come and go. But then there are those attitudes that are below, beneath the radar, those that are there, they, they just live there. We, we live in them, they're there all the time. And they could be things like trust or fear, worry, security, uncertainty, expectancy, hope. These are attitudes that undergird and can either support us or can work against us. Before I talk about children's attitudes, I want to explore a bit about our own. Attitudes are, some attitudes are actually to be awakened, awakened, stirred up, such as joy. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. We need to stir these things up and live in them. Courage. We should have a field of courage. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He needed that. And attitudes like compassion, some things are to be put on. That analogy is used, that we put these things on. Some attitudes are to be put off, others put on. Some stirred up, some that are sleeping need to be awakened. Some that drive us need to be put off. Our attitudes, just like our thoughts and our actions, need to be brought in, into captivity. Paul said, I keep my body under. I buffet my body. Now, he didn't destroy it. If you destroy your body, you no longer have the tabernacle to live in. But it needs to be disciplined. And our actions need discipline. Our wills need discipline. Our thoughts need discipline. And our attitudes, our stance, our feel, the very feel we have about our work, about school, about children, about each other, need discipline, need pruning, need wakening up, 
some need to be put off, some need to be uh, used sparingly. Jesus many times spoke to his disciples about their attitudes, this field. Be not faithless. Don't walk around being faithless. And be not fearful. Don't be fearful. You do not need to be fearful. There's something that can be done about that. Be not unbelieving, he said. And then there are other things to put on. Be courageous as you face this school year. Be courageous. Stir up this stance, this attitude, this feel, this hope, being courageous. Be strong in the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Discipline your attitudes. They do need discipline. They are not independent butterflies that fly here and there at whim, at will. If we don't discipline them, they do that, or maybe they're more like hornets. Our affections can work for us, for us. They can drive us. We can be affectionate, warm-hearted, caring, tender-hearted. They can work against us. We can be uncertain, fearful, worried. And we need to put on proper affections. Peter says, above all, all things have fervent, that is burning hot, charity among yourselves. What you feel like, what you feel like is significant. Now, we know that we often hear this saying, we don't go on our feelings. That's true. We can't not have feelings, and they need to be disciplined. It's wonderful when the feel, the attitude works with the will and with the mind, and they work together. It's wonderful if we feel like traveling on. Let's sing that chorus. Yes, I feel like traveling on, I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair, I feel like traveling on. Do you feel like teaching? Do you feel like preparing? If not, that's one of the first things to do to prepare for school, to stir up the proper attitude, to put off the wrong ones, put on the proper attitude. All right, so we came, you're here right now, you're sitting here looking at me, and right now there is an attitude in your heart. You might know what it is. Maybe you never considered what it is. Maybe you, maybe you aren't even aware that you have one. And we don't have to be thinking about our attitudes. That's usually not helpful to be thinking moment by moment. I'm fearful. I'm worried. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm courageous. I'm hopeful. I'm not suggesting at all that we keep a running uh, awareness of our current attitude. But there is a time to take heed to our ways, to take heed to the habits of the heart 
and to sense the spirit of our hearts because many times we can try and try and try to explain. We can try and try to discipline, to teach, to instruct. And all the while, our attitude is running counter to what we're trying to teach. You know the saying sometimes, which you are is speaking so loud that I can't hear the words you're saying. And so perhaps in spirit, you're standing sideways to your students, or perhaps you're giving a feel of, you know, I really would rather that you wouldn't ask me to explain this again because I've already explained it three times and I'm becoming impatient. Well, let's think about our students. Your students come to school in the morning with an attitude. They bring it with them every morning. As you watch them get off the bus, get out of their cars, the way they exit that vehicle and walk into school, they display an attitude. The way they put away their coat and their lunchbox and walk into the room and sit down and sit up, hold their songbook, sing, speak, say good morning, talk with each other all the time, they are displaying attitudes. And when you start math class and they get out their books and line up the paper and start writing, they're displaying an attitude. And the attitude that they work in makes a world of difference in the functioning of the class. I remember helping a certain daughter I have with some math a number of times at home, and when she became frustrated, I said, now, let's not, let's keep this to be a math problem. If we get too frustrated, now we have two problems to deal with, not only math, but also an emotional frustration. And sometimes we need to uh, lay aside the math and deal with the frustration first and get this feel that I actually can do this, this can be done, and then we can come back to doing the math. So many times in the middle of math class, we think we're teaching math, but we're not really teaching math. What we need to do first is teach attitudes and get the stance Maybe the students actually have their backs turned to the paper. Maybe you're turned towards them, but they have their backs turned towards you inside. You all know the story of the boy who was told to sit on a chair, and he said, but inside, I'm still standing up. So what are your students doing inside? This needs to be an important part of our lesson plan as we think of cultivating these attitudes. Now, in your notebook, you have uh, an outline sheet on cultivating the affections, and I'll be referring to that somewhat. You might want to jot down a few things. Uh, it's just a sketchy outline, but I'll let you know where I am. The scriptures here point to the fact that there is a feel about life. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Apparently, there's some volitional activity here. Let the peace of God rule. It's not going to happen if we don't let it happen. We can't just say, oh, it's there or it's not there. It isn't like today I have a cold and two weeks later I don't have a cold. Today I have peace and two weeks later I don't. There is something to be done about this. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the imperative form. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. 
Be kindly affectioned. If you want to do a study, take, do a study of the word affections, the affections, the affect. Be kindly affectioned to one another, in honor preferring one another. This is an example of one kind of attitude that we are to carry and we are to train in our children, considering, being considerate of one another. These attitudes are foundational. They are attitudes that carry, that drive, that undergird the, the will and the mind, that drive the the desire and the effort to understand, to grasp, to study, and to actually do. If you want a good study on attitudes, on feel, read the book of Psalms. It's in that book that we, almost every psalm, the psalmist expresses feelings. I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. It is possible to cultivate a delight. And if we don't think it's possible, we can't very well teach it. I delight myself in thy commandments. I delight to do his will. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. The Psalms are full of terms of expressions, of feel, whether the question, why art thou cast down within me, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. There are good attitudes. There are bad attitudes. We read in Proverbs that we're not to enter the path of the wicked. It describes people who can't go to sleep because they haven't done their quota of mischief yet that day. It's in, I believe, uh, Proverbs 4.16. They sleep not unless they have done mischief. There's just this feel, this, this, this feel that we've got to pest somebody somewhere. We've got to pull some practical joke somewhere. And this, is, this is the stance that we have. Well, these, if this is the kind of attitude we have, that's an example of something that needs to be put off and discipline. I'm reminded of the Queen of Sheba's visit to Solomon. She heard about him from the uttermost parts of the earth at that time. She came for a visit and she witnessed the going and coming and the way Solomon entered his house and his servants and her testimony, you recall, was happy are your men happy are your servants who stand continually before you hearing your wisdom this is a model you can hold up as people visit your school happy are your students happy are your boys and girls who sit continually before you hearing your wisdom learning your lessons is it possible is it possible to have an atmosphere of joy in learning in your classroom this year. If you don't think it's possible, that's your first assignment for the year. If you don't think it's possible, who, pray tell, will think it's possible? 
Well, a few more words about the term here. What do we mean when we talk about the affections? If you checked it in the dictionary, you would find that it refers to the attitude that you have toward people. And you have attitudes. Your students come to school with attitudes towards the first graders, towards the teachers, towards the bus driver, toward each other, toward their parents, toward the church. They have attitudes towards events that occur, toward recess, toward things they hear in the news. They have attitudes toward the circumstances in which they find themselves. It's time for penmanship class. They have an attitude about that. They have attitude towards play, towards work, towards lunchtime. They have a feel, they have affections, they have attitudes towards all of these. And your attitudes, your affections, what you set your affections on can be discerned, can be somewhat seen by the, what you really value. What you like, what you desire, what, what your default is when you relax. What does the mind gravitate toward? What does the action gravitate toward? A few other definitions would be your disposition to do, the, the, the tendency to do, to feel, or, or to say. What do people, what are people inclined, what are your students inclined to say when, there's, when they eat lunch? What do they do when there's some free time? What do they do if the lights are turned out? What do they do when it's time for work? What do they do when the bell rings? These are all symptoms of the affections. A few other terms that we could list here that go along with affections would be a heart set, how the heart is set. Hearts are set. There's a tendency of the heart, there's a habit of the heart to to do well, to do just as much as we can. I remember a neighbor years ago talked about another neighbor, and he said, I'll make up a name here, Sam. He doesn't do more work than he has to, and he doesn't like to do that. Now, that was a neighbor's evaluation of another neighbor, but that describes a, a hard set. Whether that was a fair description is immaterial, I don't know. but that would reflect an, uh, an affection, a heart set. And many times we would call these things character qualities, whether someone is cheerful, whether someone's inclined to, listen, inclined to obey, inclined to cooperate. It's this, this undergirding, this deep-seated tendency the inclinations of a heart. This is what we're talking about. Now, these affections are in the heart. You find, you'll see some circles in your notebook. This is a, an attempt to diagram some aspects of our heart. I pulled this together from a number of um, models. 
A few thoughts in here come from Ruth Beechick and Heart and Mind, some from uh, and uh, William Yunt and created uh, to learn, and all of them, of course, borrowed their ideas from others. But what you see here is three aspects of us. That is the mind and the affections and the will. And you could also think of this as the thinking and then the, uh, the caring or the heart and the, the doing. Now, let me say a few words about this. There are many implications with this which we cannot go into here. But what the center circle represents is actually the, the inner, the child, the person. And we have no way of properly entering this circle, entering this center circle. We teach and train our children by working around. So the teacher primarily works in this area here. You try to enlighten a child's mind by explaining things, by showing and telling, by having them do activities. And you hope that as they, as they do them, as they hear you, you hope that they also listen because you can hear without listening. This, is, this happens by default if you make noise in a child's ears. This happens if the child reaches out and willingly pays attention. And so the teacher outside here speaks, and we'll talk more about that aspect on Thursday. But today we're on this side here. On the child's with the affections, we again cannot reach into, and we don't want to reach into and violate the heart. But we can instruct, we can discipline, and we can have the child experience things, and that child will receive the instruction if you give it. He will experience, receive it, but he won't necessarily accept it. In order for him to accept it, he's going to have to reach out and actually accept it. And then on this output side, this is primarily what comes out. That is, the words he speaks, the actions he does, and the responses to other situations. Now, we can, to some degree, influence a child by requiring him to perform certain behaviors. And he will do them, if required. But he won't necessarily, he won't necessarily express himself by doing them. It's only if he does them by his will that he actually is expressing himself. Otherwise, it's simply uh, role-playing, or I'll, I'll do it because you told me to do it, or I have to do it. Now, it's possible to try to violate that circle by, in this side, we'd say brainwashing and forcing false ideas into someone's mind that the person actually does not understand or take or accept by his heart, but you force them in there. 
it's possible to violate this side by being overbearing, domineering, accusing, exercising emotional control, and that happens. It's possible to abuse in that way where a person's spirit is crushed and is taken over by someone else. And it's also possible to violate this side up here through what's often called behavior modification, where you require somebody to do something, and if you require it often enough, they actually will perform the behavior, and you change the way the person acts, but that person never adopted that. He's really not expressing it from his will. And so I'm encouraging us to, as teachers, in a sense, we work from the outside. We teach, train, instruct. We also uh, discipline, and we also do require behavior. But we do that from the, the outside. And it's amazing how we do that by speaking with words. Years ago, I heard someone say that the teacher's stock in trade is words. It is amazing that a person could speak words and a child's life changes. But it's an act of faith. As we speak words, we can encourage, we can instruct. And so we want to think today primarily of the affections here and we hope that our students not only receive the discipline and the procedures and the experiences we have them be involved in, but that they also accept them and take them to heart. Now, just a few words about the, the overlap. So, where these overlap, where the affections, the feel, and the mind overlap, this is where you do your meditating, your pondering, your deep thinking. You put feel with thought. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. When the mind and the will work together, we have plans. We we might scheme, which has bad connotations, or we might plan and purpose to do well. And we work with understanding, and we, do, we make plans, and where the, the, the affections, the feel, the attitude, and the will work together, there we have intentions. This is what I intend to do. But obviously, these overlap, and any time we make a diagram like this, it's helpful to some extent. But these do interchange, they interplay with each other, and they build on each other. And many times, our struggles as we work with children are a result of something being out of balance. If we try to work with children paying no attention to the affections, if we try to teach them something and disregard the affections, we and they will have trouble sooner or later. 
The arrows represent the simple fact that these parts feed on each other. When you feel like learning, when you when you feel like learning, you put energy into learning and understanding. And when you understand, the light bulbs go on, and guess what? You feel good. And it backfeeds into your heart, and you get more motivation to study hard. This also works negatively. When you don't want to do not another long division problem, this is going to be hard. And so you approach it with that attitude, and guess what? It is hard. I knew it would be. And so it backfeeds, and the next time you know it's going to be a worse yet. And so these feed on each other to build or to discourage. And the same works here. When you really want to accomplish something, you work, you, you put your effort into it, you care about your work, you get your care going as you work on your lessons. And if, in fact, you are successful, it comes back and you feel encouraged. If you're not successful, you tend to be discouraged. And then the third pair here would be the mind and the will working together. And when we, when we think and use the mind and, again, are successful and do something, sometimes the thing we accomplish gives us further understanding. And so they build each other. And these can build on each other both to motivate us to do well, and they can build on each other to motivate us to do poorly. And so the person who wants to get a rise out of somebody and uh, has intentions and does the poke or the pest and gets quite the screen, why that comes back and they say, oh, I found that person's button and I know where to push it the next time. And so these things feed on each other, but they require some discipline. So we're talking, thinking today primarily of this, of this side, and that is teaching to the heart. I heard a quote years ago that what comes from the heart goes to the heart. You are always teaching to your children's hearts, whether you know it or not. And it does behoove us to give attention to the fact that we are doing that and how we are affecting the hearts of our students as we attempt to develop skills of writing, speaking, singing, or understanding math, or whatever. The ways that we interact with them do impact them, whether we are aware of it or not. Now, moving on in your outline, the affections, the affections do drive our habits, our habitual behavior, and habitual uh, attitude. We not only have habits of behaving, we have habits of feeling. This is just the way I feel, and this is, this is normal. This is the way I feel today, and this is by the way I feel tomorrow. If I bring my complaining attitude to school today, guess what? Tomorrow I'll bring it along again, because it, it, just, uh, it just lives with me. I, I nurse it. 
If I'm uh, cheery today, if that's my undergirding uh, behavior, cheering, looking on the bright side, I'll probably bring it with me tomorrow because that's uh, something that uh, lives, lives in me. And so these, these uh, are affections do drive habits and they are reinforced by habits. And so some of the, a, a habit is simply a, a routine or a comfortable way, a way that to us is comfortable, a way of feeling. This is my, this is my, my habitual feel. This is how I normally feel about life, about school, about friends, about recess. I feel this way. And unless something is done to, if there's a problem with it, unless something is done to discipline that, to change it, it'll probably stay the same or get stronger. Habits get stronger by use. And there is also habits, of course, are ways of doing, and there are habitual ways of thinking, which we'll talk more about another day. And so some typical habits that I've seen in the classroom over the years are a habit of complaining. And it's helpful to mention this. If children have a habit of complaining, it doesn't matter what the issue is today. Whether it's a game, whether it's a new lesson or whatever, they will complain because they're complainers, not because of the lesson. Uh, they will complain and that needs to be uh, faced and dealt with. There can be uh, attitudes and I'm using affections to feel an attitude and habit here kind of interchangeably, there can be an attitude of looking on the bright side. This is another, another one that uh, is common. There can be an attitude of see me, showing off. And children, just like we don't recognize our own character, children are often totally unaware of the attitude they're displaying. I remember as a boy, I liked to run and jump. And I noticed for some reason I was aware it was more fun to jump when there were people around. And I remember one time jumping from the porch over the flower bed onto the walk. And uh, there were people watching. And it, it, for some reason, I was more energetic when people were watching. And someone made the comment to me, why are you showing off? And that was a brand new thought to me. I had never considered the possibility that I was showing off. Well, I pondered about this and I had to recognize and admit to myself, yes. This feel of extra energy when people were watching was actually a showing off. And that question was a rebuke to me. But our children, do they know what attitudes they are displaying? And sometimes we say, didn't anybody ever teach you to? And it's quite possible that no, nobody ever did. Nobody ever told me that I have a complaining attitude. It's possible. And we are to be teachers. And this is one of the first things to teach. Well, other attitudes, working cheerfully. Did you, do you have any students who have this attitude of get it done quickly? Get it done. Right, that is an attitude. It, there's some benefit to that attitude, but it needs some discipline because not only do we want to get it done quickly, we also want to get it done 
properly. And others might have the attitude of, we'll do it right, no matter how long it takes. Some have an attitude of, I can. Other ones have an attitude of, you say it, I can't, right? I can't, whatever, you know, I can't do this. And as a teacher, one of your major tasks is to train them to sense, to feel that I can do this. And of course, as a teacher, you better be sure that what you ask them to do, they can, in fact, do with your help. Now, these attitudes children have are, in fact, learned. We are not born hardwired with attitudes. They are learned. Now, there are propensities. That's a big subject. But let me share a few quotes from Andrew Murray in his book, uh, Training Your Child to Love God. He has some things to say about uh, feelings and attitude. Here's one of the first ones. He says, the cultivation of the feelings precedes that of judgment. Children think as children. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, and I suppose he would said I felt as a child too. When he became a man, he put that away. Children pretty much function on how they feel, especially uh, infants and young children. And children can please you. And so there is a liveliness of feelings. And so with young children, especially in their lower elementary grades, one of our major tasks is to cultivate right feelings. And obviously also the very impressionable. And then he went on to say that the parent seeks to create a feeling favorable to the good. To make the good attractive and desirable. And encourage your children to live up to our expectations. Now he says, without this feeling, without this, the feeling, without the feeling favorable to the good. And this means we want to do what is proper. We want to do what is right. Without that feeling, habits have little value. They have some value, but habits without this feeling only become routines, which we do by inertia. But then when the going gets tough, the routine can stop. But with, with the proper feeling, habits then have a connecting link. Now, feeling alone, if you just want to do what's right and want to do what's proper, what's good, but have never been trained to actually do it, feelings are powerless by themselves. You actually must have the, the strength to actually do it. On the other hand, routine alone is purposeless. If you just do these things because you're told to do them, again, when the going gets tough, while you will do something else. But if you have the attitude plus the routine, if the heart adopts that, then when the going gets tough, 
we actually do want to continue doing well. That is, we want to continue being cheerful, working neatly, taking our time, being uh, patient, and so on. And that shows up then in, in proper manners. A few more thoughts from Andrew. He says, habits must precede principles. With young children, we, we train them to do well. And if we expect them to do well because we just explain it, you don't hit people because they don't like that. Uh, that doesn't feel good. And so the assumption being that if you think about that other people don't like that, well, then, then you wouldn't do it. Well, excuse me, but people don't function that way. Adults often don't even function that way, let alone children. And some children will say, oh, so they don't like that. Hmm, all right, I'll do it again. And so we must, we must train the habits. Habits do influence a person. They give you a certain bent and direction. By requiring, by disciplining the performance, it does have a training effect on the heart, and especially if there's instruction going with it and prayer and care and warmth, we hope the child will accept that, actually take it to heart, and thus prepare the way for, I would say, for willing obedience from principle. When you require a child to be cheerful, to be pleasant, to be kind, he reaps the benefits of being cheerful, pleasant, and kind, whether he did it by his own choice or whether he did it because he had to be that way. And that the benefits themselves then do bring a blessing and encourage him to do it again. And the last thought, and this is a big one to get your mind around, one of the most important tasks, he said, is to lead the child to know that he can obey and do right. It is possible to do right, and then it's possible to do it easily and successfully and to delight in doing it. It's the highest aim of true training. Now, you say, well, are you suggesting to me that children are born good? No, in no way. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And... We also read, I shall run in the way of thy commandments when I delight to do your will. We ourselves need to believe that children can be trained to want to do well, want to please their teachers, want to please God, want to please their parents, want to be kind. And it is possible to train that. And so back on your outline then, the affections can be trained, disciplined, and controlled. In order to do that, the teacher himself or herself is going to have to display that. Paul said in the Philippians 1.8, just read this this morning, God is my witness, he said, how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, other versions say I, I, with the bowels of Jesus Christ. The affections uh, are often in uh, scripture referred to, we carry them in our, in our bowels, bowels of mercies. And so as a teacher, you demonstrate to your students, do you, how do you respond to questions? Are you impatient? Patient, when they come to you the fifth time. Do you like 
your children? Can they sense that you like being in their presence? That you are glad they are there? Do you display an attitude of hope that they can learn? Expectation. Do you have an expectation that they will understand this lesson? And do you trust in your children? Do you believe in your children? Or do we give an aura of, I'm too busy, or I don't have time for you, or please don't ask me again? And so our task is to help children cultivate a favorable attitude towards things such as obedience, being considerate, and these are just, you can just list the character qualities, uh, being helpful, being uh, courteous toward displaying good manners. I just heard an account last weekend, uh, a father said his children were playing memory, and when a fellow, a sibling would get two cards, why the other siblings, someone would say, oh, you know, because... If you got those two, well, then I can't get them. And he thought, you know, this isn't really the best attitude. So he told them, when your sibling gets two cards, I want you to say, good for you. And so, of course, the game went on, and uh, after a while, somebody got two cards, and the other sibling said, good for you. <laughs> and then, as the game went on, they said, good for you. And he said he was encouraged because after a while, they were saying, good for you. And he could see a change in attitude just in that one game. It is possible to bless your fellow classmates when they do well. It's possible for you as a teacher to identify attitudes that you want to cultivate. Name them, describe them, demonstrate them, require them, and then bless your students when they carry them out. And this could go on taking turns. Your students should feel good about taking turns, about reading aloud when it's your turn to read, about singing when it's time to sing. And it's also important to train your students to abhor that which is evil, to, we're told, to cleave to that which is good and to call sin, sin, and to not have good feelings about such things as pesting or cheating or finding fault or making fun or complaining or tardiness, envy, pride. And so as we begin this year, you are going to, on the first day of school, take your attitude along to school with you, your attitudes. Your students are going to bring attitudes with them. And during the year, they're going to work with attitudes and it's your privilege and responsibility to recognize those attitudes, to pray over them, to cultivate them, and to train them, and to believe that your students can delight in doing well. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.